Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for High Velocity Radio. Lee Cantor here, another episode of High Velocity Radio, and this is going to be a fun one. Today we have with us Shahar Arez with Stoke. Welcome. Hey, Lee. Great to be here. How are you? I am doing well. I am excited to learn what you're up to. Tell us a little bit about Stoke. How are you serving folks? Um, we create Stoke to help companies kind of um, scale up their um, their freelance workforce or tap into the gig economy, uh, if you will. Um, over the last two decades, we've seen a growing number of uh, people choosing freelancing as their career path and companies are realizing they need to accommodate more towards this uh, growing portion of workforce um, with the need for more skills or new skills, the need for a flexible budget, the need for flexible um, uh, projects within the organization. And so there's we're pretty much living the, in the era of the rise of the gig economy. And so we built Stoke to help companies uh, better serve their market. Now, when you say companies, are you talking about enterprise-level companies? Are you talking about solopreneurs and freelancers themselves that are just kind of building a team? Um, what does a company look like to you? Uh, it's a great question. A lot of people um, get confused, so thanks for asking that. So we actually, um, we're a SaaS platform for the enterprise. When I say enterprise, it's uh, usually uh, mid-market companies with uh, 50 uh, employees up to about two to 3,000. That's usually where uh, the businesses that we're, that we're serving. Because these are high-paced businesses, they're constantly onboarding new independent contractors. They need to serve the market very, very quickly, and that's the market we're serving. We help companies with um, sourcing talent, onboarding talent. Uh, we streamline the entire process from uh, um, how to get uh, all their financial details so you can pay them in time, getting collecting their tax documents, um, getting them to sign all relevant legal documents, connecting them to internal organizational systems, tracking. Uh, their performance for workforce classification purposes, and then being able to actually uh, pay them, assign them projects, track progress, and so forth, um, all within one platform without having to go through multiple constituents within organization. What we came to see is um, no one's really owning independent contractors within organization. Employees, we all know, HR handles everything that has to do with employees. If you ask any VP, HR, CFO, or CEO, how many employees work for the company and you know how they break out between departments? They know exactly those numbers. Ask anybody in the organization how many independent contractors they have. There isn't a single person in the organization that has a remote idea to how many independent contractors work there. And what we've seen is there's actually a gap of uh, three to five X between what the organization thinks they have to what they actually uh, uh, have working for them. And that creates a gap. Um, and if you don't know how many people you have working for, you can pretty much rest assured that you're doing something wrong. Um, there's a phrase in the industry right now uh, where we say um, managing independent contractors, like they're very expensive because you have to go through legal, finance, accounting, uh, management, and so forth, um, or you're probably doing something illegal. And that's where Stoke comes to help you streamline the process, make it simple and easy, and make sure you're, you're kept compliant across the board. Now, isn't that one of the challenges when you are offering a service like this to enterprise level? They're so risk averse and um, they err sometimes on the side of just let's be compliant and not kind of venture into this world of freelance or contract and just do it through agencies or do it through um, by hiring the folks. Um, how do you kind of help kind of allay some of that fear to make it e easier and more efficient and effective to get these freelancers on board that aren't really employees 
they're contract labor, so then they got to play by all the rules of a contractor, which is less training, less, you know, kind of, uh, you know, creating that kind of workforce that, that you need them to do a certain thing at a certain time. You got to kind of, you can't have it both ways. A hundred percent. And, you know, I, I think there's, there's a few levels there to, to what you said. Number one, um, we do run into companies every now and again to kind of say, you know, we don't have freelancers. It's not in our DNA. We want to be risk averse, exactly to your point. What happens then is that a lot of these people, uh, these companies end up having independent contractors, but they're hiding behind the scene. We actually call it shadow HR, as I mentioned. CFOs might say we don't have independent contractors, but actually they do. We actually ran into a company just before their IPO and their GC said, you know, no independent contractors will work here. There's, it's too risky. Uh, little did he know that one of his director of uh, marketing had 37 independent contractors working for him, but there was one liner there called marketing program dollars. What's hiding behind that one liner in the finance business, no one really knew, but there are freelancers. There isn't a single organization that doesn't deal with independent contractors. Definitely we want to keep relevant to the pace in which the industry is moving, to the skills that you're looking for. You are working with independent contractors. There's a right and wrong way to do that. By the way, I do have uh, a friend that used to work, um, uh, you know, I won't say the name of the company, but it's a very large tech company, uh, one of the largest brands that we know, that when he wanted to work with independent contractors, it was so complicated in the organization, he ended up swiping his credit card to pay the independent contractor and submitting it as a travel expense. And so everyone's using independent contractors. The question is, are you recognizing that as a phenomenon because the top talent today wants to be independent contractors? That's why there's 3x growth in the number of independent contractors. And then how do you do it right? How do you track them? How do you put in the right bounds and regulations so you don't run into workforce classification issues or tax issues? Um, and to your point, how do you put in the right checkpoints to make sure you're not crossing the, the line between an independent contractor and an employee? How long have they been working for you? What percentage of work have they been doing for you? Are they working with other clients? Are there, uh, um, you know, uh, advertising themselves as freelancers? Have you given them an email address? Have you given them a laptop? There's a lot of different um, indicators that might get you into that where they were employees and not independent contractors, but those are managed. They are only managed through a digital platform that tracks it, and that's exactly where we come in. If you're trying to track it manually, there's no way to keep track because it's it differentiates by state. There's state-level rules. There's federal rules. There's IRS. There's DOL. Um, and there's internal co uh, company processes. It's not something human beings can track. You need a system that helps you track it. And like you said, that um, the rules differ kind of almost city by city, right? And even a state within one state, the rules can be a little different in different counties or cities. Um, yeah, we haven't seen that big of a difference within counties. It uh, doesn't mean that it doesn't happen, and we haven't seen it. Usually at the state level, that's what determines kind of who can be an employee and who, sorry, who can be classified as an independent contractor and who cannot. Um, but even that, so it's super complicated, not to mention what happens if you want to go overseas. So now um, walk me through what happens. You start talking to somebody that uh, says, you know what? Um, I didn't realize how many independent contractors we have in this company, which I'm sure that happens a lot, right? Because yep. each department's kind of the wild west and they don't know how they're classifying and they're all kind of doing their own thing. So at some point, upper management realizes, hey, this is a real thing and we got to kind of put some walls around this and we need help and Stoke talent is where we're going to go for help. So you go in there and you have to kind of assess 
how they're doing things, right? This is almost a change management issue because if everybody's doing it differently, they all think they have their own solution. And now you're kind of implementing a, a blanket solution. So the, the way it usually works is not, um, you know, we can come in just to do an assessment. That's usually not what we do. Usually it's a company, to your point, that understands they need to gain control. And so um, the onboard, all their independent contractors to Stoke uh, and all the managers that are actually might be hiring independent contractors sign up to Stoke. They invite the independent contractors to sign up. Um, then we see where are they in the world, which state are they at, how long have they been working together. Then we actually um, make sure that they're payable and they comply with all KYC regulations. You know, they don't belong to a terror organization, drug cartel or anything of that sort. Um, um, and then we, we run a full audit on them. So a full audit will include things like how long have you been working for the company? Were you an employee of the company? Did you get equipment from the company or showing up at the office? I mean, again, there's there's a set of questions. We take that information. We actually push it through um, an AI engine that we co-developed with uh, Compliance HR and Littler. It's the largest employment law firm in the U.S. And we get back like a risk analysis that says, hey, this individual is low risk, both on federal and state level, but this person actually um, does hold a risk on state level because of these three things. And in some cases, we'll be able to offer mitigation. Uh, and mitigation might be, you know, work with them instead on an hourly basis, change it to a delivery-based payment method, or um, it might be, hey, let's just get this person to have more than a single client. So it really depends. In some cases, we can. There are cases where, you know, you cross the red line and it's too late. You got to make a decision, turn them into an employee or, or part ways. Now, um, what about uh, the other end of the, you're, you're working with the enterprise level, but what about from the freelance standpoint? Do you do anything to help kind of let the person know, look, it looks like you use a lot of whatever social media marketing people. Um, here's a pile of them. Do you do anything to attract the freelancer or your, your service is just strictly around the enterprise organization that hires freelancers? So our focus is on the enterprises. And the reason that we're focused on the enterprise, because we believe we'll give great service to the enterprise, we'll get the right talent to want to work with us. Um, the best, there's two things that we're providing. Uh, the freelancers that are working through Stoke that they can get anywhere else. Number one, uh, we don't charge a dime from the freelancer. They get 100% of their um, hard pain, uh, um, hard earned money. Um, unlike a lot of marketplaces that are charging them 5%, 10%, 20% in some cases, Whatever they get paid, they get in, it's full. We're not charging anything from them. B, they get paid quicker. And so at Stoke, uh, we actually are paying multiple times a month to make sure that the freelancers get paid on time and the finance team is not losing the invoices. There's actually a full interface for the freelancer to see where are their invoices, where they approved yet, and actually which date they're going to get paid uh, and, and the money will be in their bank or in their PayPal Pioneer account, however they want to get paid. Uh, and we can offer them uh, more jobs if they're looking for, uh, but we always only work with enterprises. So usually the companies uh, where they'll find jobs are higher quality, uh, more interesting, longer term and so forth. So are, is it is your pl- uh, if I go to Stoke Talent as a freelancer, is there a place for me to sign up and say I have these skills and I'm looking for work? Or is it more that you're working with people and then they're just telling you, here's the hundred freelancers that work with us? And then to those hundred, you can go, hey, you know, it's in everybody's best interest if you diversify your portfolio of employers. <laughs> so here, what, these people are looking for what you can do. So it's a great question. First of all, it's an invite only platform that helps us guarantee that we get um, only the high quality talent 
and talent that we either have significant background on or working with on our one of our clients. Most of our clients, the way it works, are starting by bringing their own talent onto Stoke and working with them. And then when they're in need to hire more, we're actually integrating with a set of marketplaces and boutique agencies, and we'll source more talent for them on demand. Um, we do not have an interface at this point that you know your random freelancer can just sign up and say, hey, I want to be part of the platform. Um, we're not trying to be a marketplace that has... 15 or 20 million freelancers, uh, but only, you know, five or 10% of them are actually high quality and working. We're trying to keep it to a, a level where we can guarantee that the freelancers on Stoke um, have the right background, have been vetted, um, and you can count on them being in, in a certain level of quality. So now um, it's an interesting time, at least in the United States, when it comes to freelance um, and this kind of gig economy. Are you seeing... It, it, to me, it seems like it it should be almost the Wild West that people are desiring this kind of project lifestyle like you described, that they don't want to be tied down to one employer. But there there's a buzz about creating some sort of more, um, I don't want to say, maybe rules and regulations around what that uh, gig uh, employee is and who they are. And, and there is an employer responsible for them. It, it, this push-pull has been going on for some time. Yep. Do you think that the trend at some point is going to just release all these people and let them just be the project workers they want to be? So I think that there's a few data points there. Uh, first of all, you know, I, I don't think you can really stop the winds of change. The world is heading towards independent contractor Bureau of Labor Statistics forecasted that by 2030, 60% of the workforce will be freelancers. Um, and so trying to force that with, you know, regulations and legislation, I think is not going to stop the trend. This isn't some scheme by the large corporate saying, hey, let's not pay social benefits and get everybody to be independent contractors. These are the people choosing to be independent contractors. Now, with that said, I think some of the legislations do have a place, but I think we need to start distinguishing, you know, the, some of the labor laws haven't been updated in, uh, in a century. And when we say an independent contractor, we kind of look at them all as one size fits all. We use a very broad uh, breaststroke. There's a very uh, um, distinct difference between, you know, an Uber driver making seven or $10 an hour. Um, and those people, I can definitely understand why they need a social safety net because with seven or $10 an hour, you cannot get it yourself. But there's a huge difference to a data scientist coming out of MIT and providing services at three to $400 an hour. And we see those as well. And so trying to treat them both the same way, you know, is not taking the economy anywhere because eventually, you know, freelance jobs will just go overseas. And so I think that, that there are two pieces that are missing in how we're treating independent contractors and the legislation. And I had a few of these conversations with, with different elements uh, uh, within the government uh, a few months back. We're missing one, which is what was the independent contractor's bargaining power? And again, if I'm a data scientist out of MIT, I probably have bargaining power. If I'm an Uber driver, one of I don't know, five or seven million, probably not so much. And so different protections are required. B, how much am I making compared to median weight at, uh, at my state? And so again, if I'm making $10 an hour and it's below median wage, then yes, I do need some safety net and there needs to be some timeline in which uh, whoever I work for is taking care of my social benefits and maybe turning me into an employee. But if I'm making you know, 50% or twice the median wage and this is how I wanna run my life, 
then it doesn't make sense to try and push people into being an employee. And um, so you think that this is just an eventuality that we're going to be more accepting of people um, just kind of living this project lifestyle, that this is just going to be how business is done. And especially when you play in a global world that we're playing in, I mean, there's too many people in too many places that you can just hire as contract. Yeah. I'm not sure I understood the question. Sorry. But the that this is an eventuality. It just it may not be today, but at some point in time, it's going to eventually break, and that this is going to be just accepted. That it's you're going to kind of disassociate the employer from the individual. Um, yeah, you know, Adam Grant at Penn State said uh, almost a year ago, I would say, he said, you know, people don't actually work for companies anymore. People have a service they provide and some people might want to rent it. And so we are seeing this trend happening. By the way, if you go back a century before the Great Recession, before the United States started forcing uh, social benefits, this is how things work. I could provide a service. Back then it was more blue collar than not white collar. And you paid me for the service. I had to take care of my own social benefits, my health insurance, my savings, and so forth. I think there's a change. I'm not sure exactly how it's going to end up. But if I want to be a sole proprietor and I have faith in my abilities and I know how to create a business, then I should be able to do that. And it's okay if the government and federal uh, uh, will start saying, well, no problem, keep doing that. But we expect you to uh, uh, put money into Social Security. We expect you to do this, that and the other. So you don't become a liability on citizens, uh, you know, within five years when something happens and your business crashes. I think that's completely fair, but it, it still doesn't negate there that people have the right to be sole proprietors. I think we need to find the right way to make it happen and support the change and not try and stop the change. Now, uh, does your solution work best for international companies that do recruit kind of globally or does it you know, work as well for the person that's in in, you know, one state in America? Um, so most of our customers have uh, are using uh, white collar uh, um, or knowledge workers um, just because they are, have higher propensity to um, to adopt new technology and, and, and you know a, a change to your point change management. Um, we do have customers that all their uh, independent contractors are in the U.S. Um, I don't know if they're all in the same state. I haven't checked that, but uh, I'd say almost all of them are in the U.S. I mean, obviously, it opens the door for them to go and hire talent worldwide without almost caring where they are because we take care of all the back office, you know, tax uh, um, legislation, payments, and you shouldn't care if you need, you need to take someone to um, take the very basic thing doing, you know, design work for you, whether it's your website or your logo or whatever that is. Do you care if that person is uh, in Cincinnati or Paris or Bangladesh? No, you want you the best talent, doing, right. You find the best talent for the price that you want to pay and that can do it in the time that would drive best results for your business. And so it kind of opens it up for you to possibilities. Now, of course, there are changes, there's cultural differences, there are time zone differences. And so, but it gives you options. What works best for you now? In some cases, you'll insist on some someone being, you know, in the States in a similar time zone. In some cases, you'll say, you know, I'd rather save, I don't know, 30, 40, 50% and get someone in a low-cost geography. 
Now, are you kind of owning the relationship with the freelancer or is it still the company that is interacting with them? Like, when do you come in to like, say they want to raise or they want, you know, they want to, you know, take a month off. Like who is kind of arbitrating that? So first of all, um, you know, one of the prime rules of independent contracting means you don't control their time. So whether it's me or someone else, they don't, they, they shouldn't be asking for time off. They just make a decision. They take a time off. Um, but um, to, to your question, we don't own the relationship. We're a management platform that helps you manage that workforce. Everything to do with how much you're paying them, when you're approving payment for them, are they on an hourly budget or a, a project-based delivery, uh, how much work you're giving them, that's all directly between the company and the independent contractor. We actually add on top and tell you, you know, best recommended, make sure that you have a set of legal documents on the platform that will verify they're getting signed, that you own IP at the end of the engagement. To, to the earlier example of a designer, you get someone to design work for you. You want to make sure that you own the IP. So you, someone's not going to claim one day, hey, I have stake in the company. I did some work for them. And so IP, non-compete, data protection, if you're giving them access to your data. And so all that um, is between the company and the contractor. We are the management, the facilitating platform. And if somebody wants to learn more, have a more substantive conversation with you or somebody on the team, what's the website? Um, StokeTalent.com. And we'd be happy to have a conversation. Good stuff. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story today. Lee, thanks a lot for having me. All right, this is Lee Cantor. We'll see you all next time on High Velocity Radio.